to the Beyond 24 Days podcast with your host, Brooke and Ken. Beyond 24 Days is focused on healthier living by promoting whole and natural foods while supporting your local, responsible producers. You can follow us on social media at Beyond 24 Days, where we share our food ideas and recipes. And now your hosts, Brooke and Ken. Welcome back, everybody, for episode number 10 of the Beyond 24 Days podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Welcome back indeed, everybody. Episode number 10. I'm not sure if I thought we would get this far, but I'm happy we're here. I'm glad some people are listening. Yes. um, I actually was looking through some of our analytics, and we do have quite a number of listeners, not just in the United States, but in the United Kingdom as well. So, welcome. Um, I guess, on a lighter note, before we dive into our topic of the day... um, This past week was a pretty busy week, and I feel like for as busy as it was, we made some okay food choices. I went skiing for the first time in four years. The last time I went skiing, I was overweight, and I remember I just didn't really, I wasn't comfortable. I remember crashing a lot, which was kind of humorous to everybody else, but it just, I just, I don't remember really enjoying myself. I remember being in a lot of pain the next day. You were, like, wrecked for two days afterwards. Your yeah, like, muscles were just... Yeah, like, every muscle just hurt. And because, uh, well, since we've lost, since we both lost a lot of weight, and since I've I've been doing more uh, running training and marathon training, I've noticed that not only is my endurance really high, but I've found that I don't suffer from the same amount of fatigue as before. Um the group of guys that I work with, we like to do outside activities. And a lot of times I used to not join them because my weight kind of was a hindrance. We would go paintballing and after like a game, I just was spent. So when the opportunity came to go skiing again, I jumped on it because I really wanted to see how much different it would be for me this time around. And believe it or not, it was actually really fun. It was super enjoyable. And I feel like I actually was able to ski. It sounds silly, but I only fell one time. That was because uh, another coworker of mine and I got our skis tangled. We were just goofing off and I fell over, you know, just to be silly. But it actually, um, I don't know, it was, it was a really fun experience. And I can't say that I've had something like that in a long time. So I guess that's some of the, the benefits of losing weight and uh, getting back into shape. But anyway, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, something that we hear often is moderation. I feel like moderation is is a bit of a dirty word when it comes to looking at ingredients for your clean eating recipes. And we talked about moderation last week in last week's podcast and how I described to you what I felt moderation for eating certain things is sweets and dairy in our life. You know, to me, moderation is maybe like, once or twice a month. Right, where some people might think moderation is once a day. Oh, oh, I can have sweets, but it's just once a day. It's okay. Well, so leading into our, our topic today, I guess what brought this up as our topic of the day, as I mentioned to Ken, do you remember the commercial that the high fructose corn syrup... Um, in the in the popsicles. Yes, they had... It was a commercial they had aired on TV... And it was a woman holding a bright red popsicle and somebody 
You know, oh, the like guy a, was like, do you know what's in that? That's high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> yeah, and she said, it's okay in moderation, which is absolutely true. Everything is okay in moderation. But as somebody who does 99.9% of our grocery shopping, I'm going to tell you, having high fructose corn syrup in moderation is extremely hard because it's... it's it's in everything. Everything. Yeah, it, it's plagued almost every food there is. One, because it's cheap and it's cheaply made because the government subsidizes um, growers to actually produce corn. And before I get on how it's, um, I guess how I know corn syrup is made. Where were we going with this? What was I going to say? For the corn syrup. In moderation. In moderation. Man. Oh, so when you're looking at your ingredients, if you're not really sure of how to read the ingredient labels, it's super important to take note to the way that the ingredients are listed. The ingredients that are at the top of the list are usually the ones that there's the most of. So if high fructose corn syrup is in the top three ingredients out of 15 or so ingredients, then that means there's a significant amount of high fructose corn syrup inside of your food products. So high fructose corn syrup, how is it made? Well, corn syrup is made by grinding down the corn kernels into a corn starch, and that's combined with water and enzymes to produce corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is when they take the corn syrup and introduce more enzymes, a series of different enzymes that turn the glucose into fructose. So that's where high fructose corn syrup comes into play. And the reason why this isn't really the healthiest thing for you is because it leads to weight gain and you have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Hypertension and bad cholesterol levels can be elevated because of your uh, ingestion of high fructose corn syrup. Another thing is it can lead to fatty liver disease. Regular glucose is processed through your body. Everything is processed through your liver, gallbladder, kidneys. And your body kind of doesn't know what to do with high fructose corn syrup. So it's mostly through your liver. And high fructose corn syrup is extremely destructive to your liver. And that's where um, fatty liver disease comes into play. So it's, it's not really, you know, when you say in moderation... You know, it's, I guess, if you were to look at it as how this affects your body and with fatty liver disease, it's kind of hard to moderate the amount of high fructose corn syrup you're eating, especially if it's in everything that you consume. And one of the reasons why it's used over sugar, like I mentioned, it was subsidized by corn producers or by the government for these producers to grow corn. So the price of high fructose corn syrup is much cheaper than actual sugar. And that's why it's used in almost everything. And when we say everything, we mean everything. I will be guilty and say that before we had started this whole clean eating adventure, I really never, never turned a label around and read a label as I was grocery shopping. I just threw things in the cart and never really checked but once we started and Ken suggested we try and cut out our high fructose corn syrup intake and I started turning those bottles and packages around and looking at them, I was like, wow, this is in everything. Ketchup, 
barbecue sauce, salsas, spaghetti sauces, apple sauces. If you go to the grocery store and you get applesauce, prepackaged cups of applesauce for your kids, of course, you know, the strawberry and the peach and the fruit flavored applesauces look so much more inviting to kids because they're, you know, different colors. All natural. <laughs> yeah. But if you turn them around, the very first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. And the, the grams of sugar compared to a natural unsweetened applesauce, it, it's just phenomenal the difference in sugar content as well. Right. And one of the things, too, is high fructose corn syrup hides behind other names. I think maltodextrins, there's different names, too, that high fructose corn syrup goes by. And it's not just condiments. It's also certain breads. White bread has high fructose corn syrup in it. It's something that it's usually in stuff that you really wouldn't think would have Mm -hmm. high fructose corn syrup. It's pretty obvious. You know, when I think of it, I usually think, oh, well, it's probably like juices, fruit juices, that sort of a thing. Popsicles. Right. And that's typically what it's in. But it can also be found in baked goods as well. And like I said, because it's in the manufacturing process, you know, money talks. So being a cheap um being a cheap product, it's widely used. So it's one of those things that you really have to pay attention and look for, especially, as Brooke mentioned, the dietary guidelines for sugar are actually, they're not on nutritional labels. You don't see a daily percentage value. And I mean, I'm not really a conspiracy theory person, but the sugar lobbyists have pushed to have a lot of this stuff removed from our labels. So the actual recommended intake, I think, is only around 25 grams of sugar. Four tea is that four? It comes to like four teaspoons. I, I think so. Don't quote us on that, but it's it's really not a lot. And I've noticed that when we've cut out a lot of sugar from our diet, and when we have stuff that has a lot of sugar, I get like I get like heartburn, and I don't really feel it's like things can be too sweet. You know, I didn't believe that was possible, but. Even like iced tea, things like that, that I used to drink all the time and not really think of, I find them to be way too sweet now. Mm-hmm. So I guess the next thing we can delve into is trying to avoid some of these things. You can, yes, very easily pick up a bottle of organic ketchup versus buying a regular bottle that is made with high fructose corn syrup. But again, I feel like we've become a society that's very, we need to do the easy thing. Right. Um, I've never really been like that. I've always liked taking the extra step. So to me, something uh, about canning, preserving, uh, making our own has always been a really fun idea for me. So I'd like to talk about ways in which you can avoid it by making your own. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate that we live in an area where we can have a garden. And I mean, if you are a Joel Salatin fan or Michael Pollan fan, they highly encourage people to even have indoor gardens that you shouldn't just limit yourself to having a home in the country setting. If you, you can have a city garden or... So they're they're big proponents in growing your own food, and we are too. It's I think it's an enjoyable process. Growing and making yeah. a lot of our own stuff. Um, this summer, 
I experimented with making ourselves and the kids our own popsicles. It's as easy as uh, throwing some fresh fruit and honey into a Nutribullet, pouring it into the popsicle molds. And we did quite a few different kinds, including guava. We had some watermelon and kiwi popsicles. It was just a great alternative to buying store-bought popsicles. Your kids can help. They can get involved. It just becomes a process that, you know, it's just, yeah, it's easier to go to the store and just pick up that box of popsicles, but it won't taste as good as the popsicles that you make yourself. And as Ken mentioned before, we are fortunate enough and we do have our own garden and it's it's a decent sized garden. And Ken's dad is the master tomato grower. So every year we get tons of tomato plants. It's It's gotten out of hand. It started off as four, four by eight planter beds. And it somehow has morphed into a 50, 60. <laughs> yeah, it's like 50 or 60 feet long and about 30, 30 some feet wide. So it's, it's morphed into a pretty giant garden. And that's a good chunk of that is taken up by the tomato plants that his father yeah. grows for us and yeah, starts. We, we, I don't know. We should just be tomato growers. But that's, you know what? It's great because... For the last, what, three years, I have opted to make our own spaghetti sauces. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when our garden has ceased to produce any more tomatoes, I will still go to, we are fortunate enough to live in Amish country in Pennsylvania. So we have an Amish farm that's across the street from us who has a produce stand. And they have hot houses and they will continue to sell homegrown tomatoes well into the fall. Yeah, and the nice thing about that farm is they don't use any sort of pesticides. They're they're for, for the most part they are considered organic. Um, so we we've been through and have seen uh, the hoop houses that they have. It's a pretty cool setup that they have. Mm-hmm. Sort of similar to what Joel Salton has at his farm that we saw. Yeah. So I I know that canning does take a lot of time. And that's one thing I know people just claim to not have nowadays is time. And I'm going to be honest with you. I do not can my spaghetti sauce. I make giant batches of it and I have plastic containers and we freeze it. We freeze the spaghetti sauce and that goes from summer and I typically run out about spring. Right. And then I may subsidize, I may just go to the grocery store and buy a big batch of tomatoes and make some to last us until the tomatoes start coming in in the summer. But it's it's great. It's great never to have to buy the, the jarred tomato sauce. And once you start making your own, it just doesn't taste the quality. The quality of your spaghetti sauce that you put on your pasta is just so much better than, than a jar of ragu a jar of prego no offense but it's, it has more flavor it tastes more more fresh i don't know how to describe the it. the onions from our garden 
the peppers from our garden. I even chop um, real fine zucchini and squash, and that goes into the tomato sauce. So all that summery goodness that you enjoy in the summer is like there on your plate in the middle of winter yet it's, again. It's like multi-layered sauce. It has all kinds of different texture and flavor to it. And don't get me wrong, we do can. We actually did try our hand at some salsa. We did take the time to can it in a water bath. And Turned we are reaping the benefits now, enjoying fresh corn and black bean salsa because we did try our hand at growing corn this year in our garden with success and it was delicious. Yeah, that was another thing that I think I went a little too crazy with was sweet corn. But <laughs> and also just out of dumb luck, we forgot we canned the salsa and we were gonna eat it right away and someone said to us, Oh, that would be really great around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So we oh okay, well we'll let that go. And then we forgot about it. So here it is January and we're just starting to crack it open now. And it's It's absolutely delicious. And the funny thing is, um, you know, with pretty minimal investment, we bought the, is it not a pressure cooker, but it's the 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 water bath canning equipment. So, I mean, for, it was, it was, it was well under a hundred dollars. So, I mean, if you look at it that way, you can clean out and reuse your mason jars. Uh, We buy new lids every year because of the seals, but it's pretty minimal as far as the time that you put into making it. Plus, I think it's just, I just like having the garden at home. Yeah. And it's, and it's a great, it's a great thing to teach your children to pass down. And again, like I said, for people who say it just takes too much time, there are other ways to make your own things that don't involve cooking and canning huge batches, you can make small batches of things, but in your crock pot. Throw everything in there in the morning, forget about it all day, come back to applesauce. Applesauce is a great thing Mm. that you can throw together in a crock pot, forget about it, come back eight hours later, and there it is ready for you to put in containers. You can freeze, just eat right away. Uh, barbecue sauce is another one that people have made in a crock pot all day right. and then come back and jarred it later. I think we're also lucky, too, that not only do we can, but a lot of our friends and our neighbors who also have gardens, too, can. So mm-hmm. one of the things that was, um, I guess, pretty neat this summer is that we were able to exchange with our neighbors. Uh, we made some, well, like Brooke said, we had so much tomato sauce that we exchanged some tomato sauce for homegrown applesauce. And what um, what did the neighbor give us? Was that applesauce? Uh, she gave us some jam, and she actually did relish. Oh, right, right. So, I mean, you know, if you're fortunate enough to live in an area where your neighbors are taking advantage and canning as well, and even friends of ours have gardens, and we've exchanged pickles for different tomato sauces and um, pickles for – we did pickles. We did a lot of pickles we, one year. We are, we are <laughs> famous for yes. our pickles. yes. Um, and, and that's another thing we didn't touch on either. Pressure canning and water bath canning does take a lot of time and preparation, but pickling is another mm, great yep. way to preserve your food. Um, it is another great way to avoid any added uh, high fructose corn syrup that may be lingering in products that you didn't know that it lingered in. This year we did 
several batches of pickles. I've pickled green beans in the past from our garden. Mm -hmm. And this year I made some really amazing turmeric zucchini chips with um, pickled onions. They were absolutely amazing. You can pickle anything. You can pickle fruits too. And and if you're curious on how to get started with all this, check your local parks. I know our local park Mm -hmm. has courses that teach people how to can. We took one on canning, but it was kind of, I don't know, it may, it may have been too introductory because we at that point we had already started canning. And so we took the class and um, they talked about dehydrating food. So we had a mm. dehydrator sitting around that wasn't getting used. So we decided to dehydrate. We did do we tomatoes. Did some, we did tomatoes. We did fruits. Because you oranges. may not know if you have tons of tomatoes sitting around as well, if you dehydrate them... And put them in a mason jar and keep them airtight. You can actually take those tomatoes, throw them in a casserole, and they will reconstitute right. in your casseroles and soups. And you will get that amazing, um, flavorful tomato taste, even though it had been dehydrated. Right. And I think they also gave us a great course in freezing. Oh, that's true. That's where we came up with freezing our sauce. So freezing much. our sauces and um, freezing spinach. Remember, oh, yeah, she right. did that great yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of how to do, you know, she kind of joked around about people who go to the store and buy chopped frozen spinach to make dips. And she showed us a really simple way to make our own frozen chopped spinach mm-hmm. with minimal work. Well, before we, I'm oh, sorry, before we take a break, um, what were you going to say? Uh, I just wanted to um, quick mention that if you do are interested in canning or pickling or freezing, but you lack the space to store a lot of this stuff, um, I picked up an amazing book at the library today. It is a cookbook, and it is called Food in Jars, and it's by Marissa McClellan. It's uh, about a 300-page cookbook, but it's preserving in small batches year-round. Oh. So there was a lot of good recipes and, you know, it didn't require you to have, you know, 50 pounds of tomatoes like most canning recipes that I've come across. It was just for, you know, three or four pints of something or other. I'll have to put a link to that then. Well, so I guess our our final comments on not just high fructose corn syrup, but just ingredients that you otherwise would want to avoid – Again, making your own products is super beneficial. And also, we can't stress enough to read the label and to educate yourself on what's in your food. Because if you have 48 hours to binge watch House of Cards on Netflix or, you know, something like that, you have plenty of time to make yourself some of your own foods. Yes. (laughs) So why don't we take a break when we come back. Brooke's favorite segment. Ken's pick. And my favorite segment, What's Cooking with Brooke? Welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump right into our next segment, Ken's Pick. Ken, what's your pick this week? Well, speaking of high fructose corn syrup and getting everyone all riled up, I originally was going to suggest... Uh, what was I going to suggest? Well, instead I changed my mind and I may have already even brought this up before, but the omnivores dilemma by Michael Poland. Um, 
It's a really great book. He sort of dives into some of these issues with high fructose corn syrup and all these other ingredients that sort of have plagued our mainstream diet. Um, it, it's, it's been a while since I've read the book, so I feel like I'm, I'm doing it a little bit of disservice. But it's one of the books that really jump-started um, my awareness for corn, how it's in almost everything. When Brooke and I, before we even started our journey, whenever she would prepare dishes, if she had corn, I used to say to her, I hate corn. I don't like corn. But the ironic thing was everything that we were eating, all the pre-packaged, pre-cooked, pre-prepared meals that were all processed, all had high fructose corn syrup. So like it or not, I was actually eating corn just unknowingly. And then once I found out I was eating corn, I decided to ban it all, all, all of it. Not really. I actually do like actual corn with food. Um, I just don't like high fructose corn syrup. You, you're, you only like corn on the cob. Yeah, corn on the cob, <laughs> especially when it's from our own garden. Ooh. Um, so the omnivore's dilemma is really what put things into motion for me. This is how. This was one of the books I actually. Um, have to credit Michael Poland really for sort of kickstarting my obsession with wanting to learn more. The Omnivore's Dilemma, he goes into not necessarily exposing the corn industry, but he talks about how the corn industry is so, uh, it's like tainted. It's It's been so, you know, misconstrued and it's been led into an industry that has basically infiltrates almost everything that we eat. And um, I guess the book that I want to talk about was called The Chain by Ted Genoways. And that talks about the pork industry. And it's one of the books that I read that completely changed my view on eating pork products. So The Omnivore's Dilemma brought our awareness of high fructose corn syrup and also of sort of the misguided way that the meat industry has been uh, sort of taken over and why we're sort of not into commercially raised uh, beef products. And then the chain is kind of what I read next, and that kind of destroyed my my hopes of ever eating bacon ever again. But um, so those two books, I do have, I think I do have them linked on our blog, but I'll, I'll put links to them. Um, again, if you're trying just to find out more about food, and uh, Michael Pollan is a really great author, author to start with. And then if you want to learn more about uh, food, uh, where your, your meat products come from, um, The Chain by Ted Genoese is also a really great book. So I threw a two-for-one special in there, Brooke. Ooh. Yes. Anyway, that's enough about me and reading. I'm still reading the... China study, and then also a book about bacteria. I That's one of my problems, to start reading books, and I'm reading two books at the same time, and it's completely driving me nuts, but I'm, I'm hooked. I love, I just love it. I love the information. Anyway, Brooke, what's cooking? Tell us, what did we have last week that was simply amazing that we shared on Instagram? And then what's coming up for this week? All right. Well, if you've been following along, you would see that we had a crunchy poppy seed chicken salad, mm. which was quite delicious. And we can use it as an example as, 
again, you're short on time. It was made with a rotisserie chicken, just shredded up the breast meat of the rotisserie chicken. And I found a very good poppy seed dressing sans high fructose corn syrup. Of course. (laughs) Of course. And you mix that with some, you can either do, the recipe did call for broccoli slaw to get the crunch, but I opted for one of my favorite things is chopped salad. So I opted for like a chopped cabbage in Mm. ours. And I uh, added some sunflower seeds and craisins to that. And we ate that in a whole grain wrap. Delicious. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. We had blackened shrimp over pesto pasta. And I believe I did a yellow squash and red onion medley along with that. And I have to say, I've never really had the best luck at doing a blackened anything, but the shrimp turned out pretty good. Uh, that's like the running joke in my house. <laughs> Mom and Dad, if you're listening, there's Brooke's attempt at blackened shrimp. And it turned out great. Yeah. Unlike my blackened chicken, which has plagued me forever. In fact, I was just looking through our Instagram. This was one of the meals that I didn't even eat this past week. No, you weren't home for that one. I do uh, apologize. Hmm, I missed out. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. We had a Mexican barley casserole, which was fantastic. It was just layers of awesomeness. We started out with a layer of Mexican spiced barley. You cooked the barley in um, stock. You cooked the barley in a stock with chili powder and cumin and oregano so that it just soaked in all of those spices and amazingness. Uh, On top of that layer was some sautéed red and green pepper and onion. You topped that with a layer of ground turkey that was seasoned with chili powder. Then on top of that, it it called for a jar of salsa. So there we go. We pulled out a jar of our homemade canned black bean and corn salsa. And the recipe did call for cheese, but because we do not uh, consume dairy... I just doused the top of that with some nutritional yeast and baked it in the oven. It was delicious. So many layers of flavors from our salsa and all the other spices that I used. And and one of the cool things about casserole meals is that if you don't have a large family, you can make up a huge casserole and then section it up for if you do a lot of meal prepping. This Mm -hmm. is a good one to make up a bunch of uh, quick lunches or dinners that are on the go that you can just reheat. Yeah, because that made an entire 9 by 13 casserole dish full of food. There are leftovers of that, right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, one of the, the most responded to meals that we had this week on our Instagram account, and I was, I was quite shocked. I wasn't sure how this meal was going to go. We attempted a breakfast, a breakfast night, and we did a vegan sweet potato waffle. It was absolutely delicious. Oh, my God. That's good. <laughs> and that was topped with a homemade blueberry sauce instead of using maple syrup on top. This, the tangy tart blueberry sauce went perfectly with the naturally sweetened um, waffle. Yeah, I think the recipe, I remember the directions said to blend 
everything together and we just mixed it by hand because it's oats and sweet potato. It was it was a thick batter, so I'm not sure how that would have went over in the blender. Yeah, our neutral bullet is pretty awesome, but we're you know, we don't want to kill it with really thick mixes. And we didn't want to make anything too soupy that was just gonna pour out of the sides of the waffle iron. Right. And the the batter is super thick because if you can't see from the picture, there is a ton of rolled oats in the batter. So it's just a waffle of amazingness filled with sweet potatoes and rolled oats. It was almost like a baked oatmeal sort of. It was delicious. But just a waffle. And I made some minted fruit salad as our side dish because I was ecstatic at the grocery store the other day because blood oranges are in season right now. And the last meal that we have posted on Instagram. We did a meatless Monday meal tonight. I made a black bean soup, which was very minimal ingredients, but absolutely delicious. You start out with peppers, onions, mushrooms, and a saute. You have your black beans and you split them in half. You pulverize half of the beans in the blender to make your soup base with some water. Then you put the rest of the beans in whole and just boil everything. We added some, in Ken's case, sriracha to the top of his. I like mine a little less powerful and spicy, so chalua on top of mine with some avocado, and it was just an amazing filling soup. It's very good. Yeah, mine was actually a little little too spicy, (laughs) but I'll, I'll take it. Um, so those were the meals that we had that are up on Instagram. We're trying to get the, all of them up on the blog. Are they all up on the blog? Or? Uh, a majority of them are. Somebody commented on Instagram and said, you never post your recipes. And I just replied back that I do. I'm just a little slow. Our podcasts are typically aired Tuesday mornings or Tuesday evenings. And I try to have the blog caught up by then. So if you see something on Instagram and it's not on the blog... Send us a message. Let us know that you want to see that recipe. I try to get everything up on there. So what you can look forward to in this week's Instagram and Facebook and blog post, I was unable to get around to making my curried beef bowls last week. We had to rearrange our schedules a bit. So that is going to get made this week. Uh, a raspberry glazed chicken. Mm. A chocolate chai oatmeal for a breakfast night. We're going to do a honey sriracha salmon because we haven't had salmon for quite some time. I'm still hung up on the chocolate. That sounds good. (laughs) And I'm going to do a slow cooker recipe for a beef ragu. Oh, well, these all sound pretty good. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the breakfast, um, but whenever we post on Instagram, they seem to really kind of blow up. I don't know what it is about. Everybody loves breakfast. I guess. Everyone's like me. They love breakfast. Another thing, too, that's frustrating about Instagram is I get, you know, I used to, if somebody would like our our feed, I would like them back. But then I started to notice that our numbers were dropping off, and I was liking more people that were liking us. And I used to obsess about it, but I've since stopped. I've since stopped obsessing over how many followers that we have. But at some point in the week, we were up to around 400, and now we're down to... 375 and then I'll check again and it's 380 so 
thanks for the likes. Thanks for all the love. And I'm not sure why. It thank you. Like well, I think mainly what we want to say is thank you for the people who legitimately like our page, follow along with us, and aren't just there for us to like them back. Yeah. And comment and say, these are amazing feed. What are your goals for this year? And it's like, oh, well, thank you. 100 Instagram likes for free.com for that wonderful comment. I just can't wait to subscribe to you as well. But anyway, um, that's what we have going on. There is, I don't know, do we have anything coming up this week? No races, unfortunately. I don't think so. But we do have one race coming up, but that is President's Day. And it's something a little bit different for us. We've signed on for a virtual race. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I've, you know, went to the yield internet and read that some people are fans of the virtual races and some people aren't. I don't know. We're going to give it a try, see how it works out. And I'm sure we'll fill everyone in. Anyway, with all that said, we want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for joining us. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week. Make smart food choices. Make sure to read the labels and make sure to educate yourself on what's in your food. Yes. Um, I think next week I would like to talk about uh, cooking in season. Oh, yes. Um, Our local grocery store sends out flyers all the time. And a lot of the stuff that they feature, it'll be new in seasoned. Uh, fruits and vegetables and that sort of a thing. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, thanks for joining us. We do have, as Brooke had mentioned, Facebook, Instagram. We're on YouTube. Pinterest. Pinterest. Uh, just check us out. Google search Beyond 24 Days. I'm sure you'll find us. If not, go to our blog and we'll have all the links there. Anyway, thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you all next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.